It's uh, been a few years since I've told this story, but uh, a few years back I discovered that my 10th great-grandfather was hung in the year 1678 in Edinburgh, Scotland for attempting to murder the Archbishop of St. Andrews. That attempted assassination was made some 10 years earlier in 1668. He evaded capture for 10 years but was eventually caught and hung for his crime. You see, what happened was this guy was a bit of a poor shot. His handgun skills needed a bit of work. He missed, what can I say? Now, if you've been around Fort City for any length of time, you, you are aware that my ancestry is dominantly Irish Catholic, uh, settling first in Newfoundland in the late 1700s or early 1800s. But what you might not know is there's also a strong streak of Scottish from my grandmother on my father's side. My Scottish relatives landed in Nova Scotia at around the same time, late 1700s to early 1800s. And on this Scottish side, I have this infamous, or some say famous relative that I just told you about. His name is James Mitchell, and he's still celebrated as a folk hero for the Scottish independence movement. He was a pastor with the Scottish Covenanters, basically a reformed Presbyterian style of church that was uh, persecuted by the English, uh, including the Anglican Church that had become the state church of England and Scotland at this time. So my 10th great-grandfather took it upon himself in the name of Jesus to rid Scotland of what he saw as this evil, very unpopular cleric, Archbishop James Sharp. Uh, he and so many in Scotland saw Archbishop Sharp as a treasonous, evil puppet of the British crown. James Mitchell did this out of passionate conviction, wanting to defend freedom of faith as well as a free Scotland. Um, church and politics definitely meshed together in those days. Had my 10th great-grandfather been alive today and living in the U.S. Uh, on January 6, 2021, I imagine he would have been one of those guys storming the American Capitol and he'd be doing it in the name of Jesus. He believed that to faithfully follow Jesus, you had to be a dissident to the point of being willing to commit violence for the cause of Christ. Hey, don't judge me that I have an assassin in my family line. It might explain me a bit, just saying. Now... I tell this story as a way to introduce a new series that we're starting today called Daniel Thriving in Babylon. It's a study of the Old Testament book of Daniel. Over the next few weeks, seven or eight weeks, we're going to touch on all 12 chapters. And we're going to learn how to thrive in Babylon or Fort McMurray or anywhere where there is pushback against what we believe in our values. We're going to figure out how to be wise, loving dissidents in an increasingly dark world of ours. And we're going to not only learn how to thrive in a dark world, but to shine in this dark world in a way that is winsome and attractive, in a way that helps people find their way to Jesus. Daniel is, is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It has so much to teach us. It's full of faith and courage and adventure. Throw in a little prophecy, even some end time stuff, and the book is just fascinating. But most of all, it's just a positive story about thriving in Babylon. Um, and it's a, a positive story about thriving in darkness. It's just a, a great book about living well when times are tough. 
It, it teaches us the right way to live as dissidents for Jesus. So yeah, I want to help you become a, a dissident, a bit of a rebel in a good way. The prophet Daniel wants us to know that, hey, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world or how dark the world gets. It doesn't matter what pandemic sweeps the planet next. It doesn't matter what war erupts and how it impacts us. It doesn't matter how bad inflation gets. It doesn't matter how corrupt government is. It doesn't matter how incredibly immoral sexually the world has become and how opposed to Christians our society becomes. Daniel wants us to know that we can shine in a winsome way in any dark or hostile environment. And Daniel will show us how. And it won't always be quite what you're expecting. It might not always be if you went to Sunday school the way your Sunday school teacher taught you. Now the idea for this series came to me last June uh, during Pride Week in our country and, and just how uptight so many Christians became and some cases how ugly some Christians became and then how other Christians just wanted to put their head in the sand wondering what the problem was and just hope that it goes away. Yeah, some just didn't seem to care about what was happening in our schools or in our society. Hey, I, I chair the ministerial here in Fort McMurray and the issue of LGBTQ2S++ rights. What do you do with the growing transgender movement? And what do you do if you don't see eye to eye with this movement? And how our schools are handling? Well, that's become an incredible point of tension among some of the churches who simply do not see eye to eye on how to approach the issue. And so this brings me to the book of Daniel. I believe the book of Daniel not just one verse here or one story there, but the whole book of Daniel, when you see the big picture of how Daniel operated so strategically in different ways and at different times, the book of Daniel speaks to how we navigate these kinds of things. And yeah, I, I did a message on sexuality and identity dealing with transgender issues back in last January, last Sunday in January, if you want to check out YouTube or scan the QR code on the screen to, to get you there. If you're wondering where I stand in all of this, or yeah, really it's just a great message to check out and really help you get a biblical grasp on the issue. Check out the message if you want and give me some feedback. That would be awesome. Another interesting tidbit about the book of Daniel that you won't see in your English Bibles. The book is written in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. Chapter 1 is written in Hebrew because it starts in Israel. Chapters 2 to 7 are written in Aramaic, the language of Babylon, where the events of these chapters are taking place. And then chapters 8 to 12 that are prophecies about the future revert back to Hebrew because they're all about our God who is in control of history. Then, in the last chapter of Daniel, verse 3 of Daniel 12, we get a verse that sums up what the book is all about. Let me read. Those who are wise, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. This is actually what the book of Daniel is all about. The book of Daniel is all about how to live wisely in a world that does not share your faith and is hostile to your values. And as you live wisely, God uses you to lead many to righteousness. God wants to use you to make a difference in a world that you, as a follower of Jesus, don't totally agree with. The book of Daniel asks this 
question. What does faithfulness to God look like in our secular world controlled by secular powers at war with the Christian gospel? We'll start to answer that question. Well, yeah, the way I want to start to answer that question is to leap into the first two verses of the book of Daniel. So let me read those first two verses for you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure and put and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, let's talk for a minute about Babylon because there's some deeply important symbolism at work here. Babylon refers to a specific kingdom in the 6th century BC located in what is modern-day Iraq. But in the Bible, Babylon also represents a spiritual power at work in every secular kingdom in every age. In the New Testament, the early Christians used Babylon as a code name for Rome, even though Rome was miles from the ancient city of Babylon and had absolutely no political connection to Babylon whatsoever. In the book of Revelation, Babylon becomes the Apostle John's name for the whole world system in opposition to Jesus. The point is, you and I also live in Babylon today. In the Bible, Babylon is the term for the spiritual kingdom at work in secular world power since world powers began to rise. It's the kingdom built in opposition to God, independent of God, the, the kingdom where man is in charge and man is at the center. Satan has always used secular government, secular media, secular business and economics to make war against the people of God. We live today in that world, the world of Babylon. Now, the story of Daniel is the story of four young men, good-looking, smart, healthy, athletic, the best of the best, kidnapped and conscripted into King Nebuchadnezzar's service. But don't think of this like an episode of the Bachelor Hebrew edition. As we read on in chapter 1, we're told that they were put under the care of control of the chief eunuch, which means they would have, in the system that existed then, they would have been made eunuchs also, which means their capacity to have kids was quite literally crushed. Plato said that people enrolled in these training programs were usually 14 to 70-year-olds, so we can assume all of this probably happened when Daniel was maybe 15, 16 years of age. Nebuchadnezzar then has their names changed. They had good Hebrew names which pointed to the glory of God. Nebuchadnezzar changed their names to speak praise to his gods. Daniel's name goes from God is my judge to Belteshazzar, Baal protects the king. Hananiah means God is gracious, but his Babylonian name is Shadrach under the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael, there is none like God, becomes Meshach, there is none like Aku, the moon god. And lastly, Azariah, God has helped me, becomes Abednego, the servant of Nebo, the Babylonian god of wisdom. Pause for a minute. Work with me here. Think about what happened to the world of these 15-year-old kids. Keep in mind, these are real people. 
these high school age boys watched as their homeland was invaded, their families killed, their temples desecrated, their futures as husbands and fathers destroyed, and, and their names changed to give praise to a foreign deity. Some of you, you know, you feel like where you work or even in your family that you live in the middle of one difficult environment to be a Christian. You ever complain about what it's like to be a Christian? Uh, friends, Daniel's got you beat big time here, right? If you want to learn how to live the Christian life with, with maybe your family who doesn't believe or the guys and gals you work with whose lifestyles are so far from God-honoring, hang in for the rest of Daniel. Get out to the next seven to eight weeks of the study. Friends, you can live for God and flourish where you work and with those who think differently than you. You can make a wonderful difference in their lives. That's the story of Daniel. Okay, there's a one key thought that I'd like to take out of this introduction to the book of Daniel. So let's look a little more closely at these words from the opening of Daniel chapter 1. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And there's a very interesting phrase there that causes some people to, you know, like cringe. Does, does, did God do this? And it's the phrase, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. What does the book of Daniel mean? Daniel means what is happening as part of God's judgment against people who claim to follow him. And I get this is a, a, a tough one for our modern sensitivities. But as you read the Old Testament and see that God had repeatedly warned leaders and the people of Jerusalem to repent and return to him or suffer the consequences, right? So how does this work? Well... Sometimes God just lets history happen. God just lets us do our own evil deeds and reap the consequences of our behavior. Sometimes God intervenes in history to make things happen that serve his purposes. And sometimes God just lets events of world history um, that he has absolutely nothing to do with and he just lets them happen and he uses them to shape his people for the better. Whatever God is doing... He knows what's going on. And whether he directly intervenes or not, he is in control. In the case of the people of Jerusalem, his passion is to be a loving father who, who wants to do life with him. Our God always wants to do life with us, right? Um, and he's calling the people of Jerusalem to turn their hearts back to him. Hey, you all know one of the things that adversity does is it shows us that we need God, right? Adversity causes us to reach out to God. And so often, adversity is the place where we find God. It happened back in the days of Daniel, and it still happens today. I'm not saying that God causes most adversity, just that adversity itself can be a good thing and cause us to get our eyes back on God. And while the wildfire did that for a lot of us, I, I don't believe God caused the wildfire, but he's sure been using the wildfire to help people find him. I think that's cool. Same is true of the pandemic. Here's what you need to see, though. Daniel and his three friends 
were not the guys in Jerusalem who were rebelling against God. These are not the rebels. These are the good guys. <coughs> Excuse me. Basically, they're innocent, right? These are innocent guys. And these four good guys were carried off to Babylon just like all the other young noble guys and they were forced to serve a wicked egomaniac king. Yet Daniel never complained, never won. You won't find it in his book. He never gave in to despair. Let me quote Larry Osborne here. It's a great statement of what Daniel believed to the core of his being and it's a statement I want us to hang on to. That God is in control of who is in control even when the wicked gain the upper hand. Friends, do you believe that? Friends, we must believe to the core of our being that God is in control of who is in control. It totally changes how we experience life, especially the negative parts of life and the negative people in our life. From Daniel's perspective, it was God who gave or at least allowed Babylon to have the victory. It was God who turned the holy things in the temple over to Nebuchadnezzar. It was God who allowed them to be placed in a treasure house of a pagan god. It was God who allowed Nebuchadnezzar to get away with mocking the God of Israel as an inferior and defeated foe. Daniel also understands that his people, the people of Israel, have not lived as faithful followers of God. They have allowed compromise and sin, disobedience and independence to displace the ways of God. And so what is happening is they are simply reaping what they have sowed. They sowed in sin and now are reaping judgment. Friends, it is a sobering thought that our sin and disobedience always catches up to us. Have you thought about that in your own life, that sin and disobedience always catches up to you? You need to think about that a little bit. You reap what you sow. And so from the first page of the book of Daniel to the last, Daniel clearly sees God's hand in everything that happened. This doesn't mean that Daniel, I should say, that God orchestrates everything that happens or, or, or that we don't have freedom to make good things or bad things happen. Friends, we have lots of freedom. The point is, and you need to get this, because God sees all and knows all. Because God can intervene if he so chooses. It remains true that God is in control of who is in control. And that's as true as today as it was in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. This is why Daniel and his three friends were, were never shaken by the mess their worlds turned into. They were never shaken by the violence, the wickedness, the sexual immorality, the occult practices that were all around them. None of these things fazed these guys one bit. There is something we need to learn from Daniel and his friends on how chill they were living in a world that assaulted their values and their way of life. They simply saw God as still in control. They saw God as bigger than the stuff going down around them. And they knew that they were God's kids, so hey, no worries. Friends, when you know the God who is in control of who is in control and trust him fully, you can just relax and get on with serving him and living for him. No matter what crap is flying around you, no worries. Really, God is bigger than anything going on around you. 
It's not that you don't get involved with what's going on. It's, it's not that you don't work to make things better. It's not that you don't seek justice when you're being treated unjustly. Absolutely, you do. It's just that you don't get uptight about it because God is still on the throne. He always has been. He always will be. Now, because Daniel was so firm in his belief that God is in control of who is in control, Daniel was convinced that God's plans would not fail. No matter what else, however bad, you know, stuff was going on around him, Daniel was convinced that God's plans would still prevail. That no matter what happens in the world, no matter how dark or messy the world looks, at the end of the day, we will see that everything does work together for the good of God's people and the glory of God's name. Even when the wicked or the insurance companies seem to prevail, God is still at work. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. Because God is bigger than anything Babylon can throw at you. <clears throat> so what about you and what about me? Let me ask you, how big is your God? Seriously, is he bigger than all mess and sin and disease and violence and heartache that is part of this sin-wrecked world we live in? <coughs> Excuse me. The question is, is God as big as your Babylon? <clears throat> in the book of Daniel, to that question, is God as big as your Daniel? You're going to get a big yes as the answer. God is bigger. God is bigger than any Babylon I might face. And so the book of Daniel is all about Daniel and his three friends living lives that believe that our God is far bigger than the Babylon they were living in and anything that Babylon would throw at them. Now, there's something else that turns up in the first chapter of Daniel that's important to see that we'll save for next week. Next week, we'll see that sometimes there are lines that need to be drawn to live faithfully for Jesus. Sometimes we need to be dissidents in Babylon. Sometimes we need to push back on Babylon. We'll, we'll see that Daniel and his friends carefully pick which lines to draw and which lines to let go of. They are dissidents for God, but very careful about how and when they will push back against the power of Babylon. That's next week. But as we wrap up today, the key idea I want you to hang on to is God is in control of who is in control. And that means you can chill. That means you can relax. That no matter how wild your world or this world becomes, you are called to relax in Jesus, experience the peace of Jesus, because he is in control whether it looks like it or not. And that truth totally changes how you live in the world today and approach any circumstance, good or bad. Friends, we simply need to learn to trust God in the middle of the storms because our God is in control. And that means you don't have to take matters into your own hands like my 10th great-grandfather did and think you're doing it for Jesus. That doesn't mean you're a pushover and, and never push back. We're going to talk about that next week. Rather, you simply rest in God's love, knowing that he is in control. And yeah, I haven't touched on any of your big questions yet, like how do I help my kids live in Babylon? We'll get into that. But just hang on to this morning. God is in control 
of who is in control. And if you have kids, help your kids see that our God is in control of who is in control, even their teachers, even the classroom bully. Would you bow with me for a moment of prayer and then just take the words that I pray and make them your own personal prayer. Father God, just pray this to God. Father God, I admit that sometimes the crazy things I see happening in this world, where I work and in our schools, scares me. Just, just admit that, yeah, the stuff around in this world is real scary at times. And today I confess that as sin, the sin of not trusting that you are in control of who is in control. Today I declare that I trust that you are in control. I will put my trust in you. Today, I make a commitment to live every day, no matter what happens, good or bad, knowing that you are right here with me, that you love me, and that you will help me navigate through the mess of life. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.